This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are finishing our look into the Best Picture candidates for this year's Oscars. I've been doing this since the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we look at three to four of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. It's pretty simple. We label each nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. On the second show of this series, we had Jeff Ballmer, host of Classic Movies Live, come on to discuss the odds that Belfast, West Side Story, Coda, and Licorice Pizza had to win each of their categories. Joining me on this last episode of the series to discuss The Power of the Dog, Don't Look Up, and Drive My Car are Kyle and Mary Lee, hosts of the aptly titled Once Upon a Time at the Oscars. Every week, they review a film that was nominated for Best Picture, going all the way back to the very first ceremony in 1927 up to today. This is the first time that Kyle and Mary Lee have guests on ContraZoom, so welcome to you both. Hello, happy to be here. Thanks, Dakota. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, it's, uh, we're honored. Yeah, this is our first uh, guest star we're doing on a podcast, right? Am I remembering that correctly, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. This is the first time we've guessed on not only ContraZoom, but any podcast. Wow. So thank you for the honor. We uh, we won't divulge that we've spent the last 40 minutes with technical issues trying to get this set up, but I'm happy it seems to finally be working. Yes. Yeah, you made it through system. your whole intro without any lag or dropping out, so we'll take that as a win. Yeah. It was all just rehearsals anyways. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm curious... Uh, when you are watching the Oscars like you're currently doing in preparation, uh, do you try to watch every nominated movie or do you just sort of stick to the ones that you know you're like the best picture candidates and so forth? No. So we are uh, Oscar death racers, if you will. We've been watching every nominated film every year for the past four years. Is that right? Mary? Yes, that is correct. Wow. That's okay. crazy. Well, then my follow-up question is, how are your personal Oscar death races going? Uh, for me, not including shorts, I've now seen 36 of the 38 features, and of the shorts, 6 of the 15. Um, so according to Letterboxd, we are 83% done with everything. We've got about 8, not nine yeah, films. 9 more things to go. And uh, three shorts left. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, we're almost there. The, the end is in sight. Uh, if if I finish this year, it'll be my third year in a row actually finishing, despite the fact that I've been trying to do this now for what seems about seven or eight years. Oh, wow. <laughs> is it is it hard where you are to, to find some of the films? No, not at all. It, uh, it used to be tricky because when I started, you know, Netflix wasn't a big player or Amazon or, or whoever else. So you basically had to go to the theaters or hope that it would come out on DVD or Blu-ray in time. Otherwise, it's just sort of like you shrug your shoulder and goes like, well, I guess I'll uh, catch it later if I get the chance. But, you know, yeah. as I'm sure the two of you know, there's quite a few movies and categories where if you weren't forcing yourself to watch these movies, you probably wouldn't watch them to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, there's Absolutely. a lot that I would have never even heard of or been on my radar. And that's I think that's my favorite thing about the Oscar death race is that you're introduced to things that you you just you never would have thought to watch. And you're just I love when you get that just once it happens about two times per Oscar year 
where you, you see something that you're like, man, I'm so happy that I saw that. And you, you just wouldn't have seen that without doing the death race. Do you have any for this year that you're uh, were, were pretty surprised by? I don't think I ever uh, bestia, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes, we just watched that yesterday, and wow, I, I, what a weird, awesome, uh, animated short to watch. Yeah, I agree. That's one where it's very beautiful to look at, and the politics behind it are very interesting, but it's it, the subject matter and the way they present it is done in a very unique way and one that uh, made me a little uncomfortable at times, too. Yeah, it's very Lynchian, I felt, and I'm all about that. Well, I know you have already done shows on seven of the Best Picture nominees already, including all three that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, is my math correct on that? Uh, yeah, we, we actually only have one more we have to record for our show. But yes, available publicly, there's seven movies. Because I yeah. think what King, our King Richard episode came out the day we're recording this, correct? Like today. Yeah, yeah, right, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then by the time this comes out, eight of them will already have been released. So that that's terrific. Uh, and if people want to hear your full reviews, obviously they should go check out your show. But before we get into the show, I, I sort of want to talk a bit more about your podcast a bit. What made you decide to watch every Best Picture nominee ever? So I think it started uh, with our first death race. We We just wanted to watch everything that was nominated, see if we could do it as a challenge to ourselves. And... When we were successful, we we were like, "Hey, let's let's try and do this for every year." Um, and I think we quickly backed away from every nomination from every year and, and just stuck with the best pictures. Yeah, that would be very very overwhelming, and we would be doing this until the day we died if we did every single nomination <laughs> for every year. <laughs> yeah, you basically uh, would have to give up on ever watching any new movies ever again. It, exactly. Yeah, exactly. the only new movies we would see is when it, we came around to the current Oscar year, uh, every yes. Oscar season. But yeah, it's just, it's always been something I think in the back of our minds we've always wanted to do is is watch these Best Picture nominations. And it's a great way to kind of, it, it's a great challenge to yourself to watch these earlier movies from the, the 20s and the 30s um, that you might not not necessarily do just you know, because were there any real surprises that you've come across that you, you loved, but you didn't really know about beforehand? Oh, the one I always throw out is born yesterday starring Judy holiday. I fell in love with that movie and it, it's such a blast. I cannot recommend it enough. I always bring it up when I'm asked this question. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Um, Ah, that's a, that's a tough question because there have been just so many. I think uh, Foreign Correspondent, actually, for me, that's been... Oh, the Hitchcock film? Yes. Uh, it's kind of become... I've, I've always been a huge Psycho fan. Uh, it's, it's one of the first horror movies I ever saw, uh, along with The Birds and other Hitchcock. And um, Foreign Correspondent was just such a surprise it was just such a surprise on how much I enjoyed it and I was so happy to have seen it and it's just kind of stuck with me uh throughout you know I I bring it up I feel like a lot on the podcast when we talk about other movies it's a good one 
Uh, and then I guess the last question I have is, uh, did you have a year where you were already, you had already seen the eventual winner and assumed it would be the, the best of the group, but then once you got through them all, you realized that something else was actually much better and maybe more deserving? Yeah, I think that's more common in the the more recent years. Uh, we recently went through the nominated films of 2010, which uh, The King's Speech won. And we had seen that prior to doing the podcast. And I personally felt that there were two films that were capable of taking home that win, especially Black Swan, the Darren Aronofsky film. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty stacked year between Black Swan and Social Network. Yes, and that was the other one that I was surprised King's Speech beat it out. Yeah, that that was a tough year to I mean, not a tough year. That was an an amazing year to what a, what a treat. Like every film we watched was just it didn't feel like it was a chore to watch any of these films. It was just we we genuinely look forward to it each week and to record the episode. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Awesome. Well, that, that's good to hear. Uh, then let's, uh, let's sort of get into these movies. We're gonna, we're gonna start off with The Power of the Dog, which has 12 nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director for Jane Campion, Best Lead Actor for Benedict Cumberbatch, Best Supporting Actor for Cody Smith-McPhee, Best Supporting Actor for Jesse Plemons, Best Supporting Actress for Kirsten Dunst, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Production Design, Best Original Score, and Best Sound. That is a lot of nominations. As we know now, The Power of the Dog is the front runner in both having the most nominations, and it looks like to be one of the front runners for Best Picture. But I want to know your takes on this. This is this is going to be an interesting one where I've been debating this throughout this whole series. Is it the the real front runner? Is it sort of the co front runner with either something like Belfast or West Side Story? Where are the the two of you leaning for this category in the odds for Power of the Dog to walk away with the Best Picture Oscar? So before we start breaking down everything, I do want to say that this is all going to be what I what I think will probably win in each category and not what I want to win, because I think there's there's two very big distinctions there. Um, that being said, absolutely. Power of the Dog does seem like the front runner front runner in most of the nominated categories. I think it's a in very impressive film. I love the spin that it took on the Western genre. Um, and it, it presents a story that feels uh, a little more modernized in this classic Western setting. And, and I love, I love that take on it. What about you, Mary? Lee? So I, I think I have a, um, I think I have a lot of hot takes when it comes to this movie. It is, it was, I think it's been my biggest disappointment. I was really looking forward to watching this and I, I, I had a strong feeling that I was going to enjoy it, but it just didn't hit a chord with me like I think it has with other people. So I totally see how it would be a front runner for a lot of people, and it really does appear to be so. But I actually put this as my as a dark horse. I, I think it definitely has that potential. But I just I feel like there are stronger movies that are nominated for best picture. I, I think Dune might actually have a, 
I, I think I'm picking Dune as my front runner for best picture, which is surprising. Um, but there's just, there's something telling me that this one is a dark horse for me. Interesting. Okay. I like that. I, I, I like that we're going to have a bit of a discussion about this. I, I'm also a fan when they give best picture and best director to different movies. And it would not shock me if this is a, another year where that happens, where we're going to move on to her next. But Jane Campion winning best director, I feel like that could happen. But then maybe something like either Dune or one of the other nominees could potentially come in and West, win best picture. Do you think that the chances of there being a split is a realistic possibility? This year, absolutely. I, I, I think so, definitely. Yeah, I think with Jane Campion and Steven Spielberg being nominated for Best Director, that's that's a battle uh, that took place back in the 90s. I believe it was the 90s. Um, so I, I feel like Spielberg could take the win for Director, but then Power of the Dog could win Best Picture. That's, that's kind of a... a a category I've gone back and forth on. And I, I really don't know who I want to win. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't hearing much uh, about Spielberg winning Best Director, but I like that you're going in a different direction too. Uh, do you... I, I sort of looked at Spielberg's nomination a bit of like how when Meryl Streep gets nominated, where it's <laughs> almost a bit like, oh, hey, they have a new movie coming out. Let's let's nominate them for an Oscar, whether or not they have a, a realistic shot or not. But you, you actually think that Spielberg has a chance to win Best Director. I mean, I think he, he took one of the most popular musicals of all time, and he really put his touch on it. And it, he he remade it in a way that uh, no one else could have done. The West Side Story is is like a magical movie that came out this year. So I, I think Spielberg stands a very strong chance of winning this Best Director. Okay. And what about you, Mary Lee? Where, do you think that it is Jane Campion's award to lose, or do you think that there might be someone else coming up for her? So I I feel very strongly that uh, Jane Campion is going to win for Best Director. I just think that she might have the push, and there's there's just a lot going for this movie that, that I do believe is great, that is due to her direction. And I think that the Academy will see that. I, I, I agree with you, Dakota, about, uh, about Spielberg being nominated just because he's Spielberg. And I, I don't want that to take away from his nomination at all. I definitely think it's deserved, but, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's definitely, uh, going to Jane Campion though, for sure. It this race almost has a bit of uh, Brokeback Mountain and Crash vibes for me, where Ang Lee ended up winning Best Director for a quieter, more intimate type of movie, and the Best Picture went to at the time was a much more crowd pleasing type of movie. And there's been a lot of I don't want to say pushback, but there's been a lot of consternation amongst people who are going into Power of the Dog expecting it to be some sort of a Western, you know, you have to look no further than someone like Sam Elliott calling it out um, and, and being uh, yeah. sort of disappointed with the end product, not being what they want it to. 
and, and so it sort of reminds me a little bit of, of maybe the the Ang Lee and Crash situation where where maybe whether it's West Side Story or Dune or Belfast or even Coda, which has also had a bit of a surprising surge in recent weeks, maybe uh, come and win Best Picture. Well, it really seems pretty locked in to me that Campion is going to win. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. And, you know, I, I think with Campion and Spielberg going head-to-head back in the 90s, I wish I could remember what movies those were, but I think maybe the Academy will will want her to take home that win above Spielberg this year. Yeah, that would have been for uh, The Piano, I believe, which was in 1994, yes, yes. and that was the year that, uh, what did, what was it? Just pulling this, oh yeah, Schindler's List, of course. That's a hard, hard film to beat, so <laughs> yeah. I get that. It, it's, I, I look at, I look at Power of the Dog, and as much as I do think that Jane Campion will take it home, I do think that Kyle makes a good point with West Side Story and that Steven Spielberg is just the perfect choice, I think, to to remake that movie and, and bring something kind of different and whimsical to it. But I do think that Power of the Dog could have been directed by someone else, so I don't get that same feeling with Power of the Dog and James Campion as I do with Steven Spielberg and West Side Story. And and same with uh, even, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and Licorice Pizza. I think that Paul Thomas Anderson is the only person that could have directed Licorice Pizza. But I think there might have been other directors that, that could have done Power of the Dog as well, if not better. I think, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, that's such an interesting take and one that I hadn't thought of. And I would be sort of curious what other sort of directors would be would take on this film and this subject matter and and do do it in their own interesting and unique way. But I, I think you're right about the to- Paul Thomas Anderson comment. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because Licorice Pizza is a very um, personal story for ta- Paul Thomas Anderson, and maybe that's why it, there's a lot of that feeling. But yeah, I mean, yeah, and but it, I mean so that, Jane Campion also wrote power of the dog but it's 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 yeah it's not Adapted. her story to tell as much as licorice pizza is for yeah uh for for paul uh, for pta over here all right uh let, let's go on to the the four acting categories which is a huge thing the fact that they got four nominations for a single role i, I wish i had the stats in front of me the last time this has happened but it is something that is very rare obviously there is no supporting, uh, there's no lead actress uh, nomination in this, but there are four total. And so I'll start with Benedict Cumberbatch, who sort of seemed to be the, the, the front runner for a little bit. And then the narrative with Will Smith really seemed to take over about how he's long overdue and all this sort of stuff. And, and it's also probably has to do with my prejudice for really disliking King Richard as a movie overall and, and not being a big fan of Will Smith. I would much rather see either Cumberbatch or Denzel or even Andrew Garfield win this. But I still think that Cumberbatch is the one to beat come Oscar night, even if Will Smith has probably the best narrative amongst everyone. Yeah, I think the narrative is is really what's driving the Will Smith possibility. Um, I, I personally, though, think that he had a stellar performance in King Richard, even if the movie uh, wasn't the top of the best pictures this year. 
Uh, me, I'm an Andrew Garfield fan this year, so that's who I'm pulling for. Uh, I, I hope he takes it home. But Benedict Cumberbatch, I think his performance was good. As, as boring as that word sounds, I think he was just good. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like Mary Lee mentioned, uh, Campion, you know, maybe could have been replaced with another director. That's how I feel about Cumberbatch in this. Uh, I, I don't know that he's my first choice to have star in a Western even if it is kind of a, a different take on the genre, he he just wasn't giving me what I felt was his best performance with Power of the Dog. Interesting. What about you, Mary? Lee? Yeah, I so I've got Benedict Cumberbatch as my dark horse because I I do see Will Smith f- get, finally kind of getting some Oscar love as far as a win. Uh, in yeah, I, I don't know. I really kind of flip back and forth because I I do kind of have this gut feeling that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to take it home. But I I guess I'm just letting my own personal opinion on it keep me from putting him as my as a front runner even though maybe that is really how I feel about it. Um but yeah, I, I'm sticking with him as my my dark horse and uh, Will Smith as my front runner uh, as of right now. That's kind of how I'm I'm feeling. And and I agree. I do think the push for Benedict Cumberbatch has kind of taken a backseat. Uh, now that you mention it, I don't think I really realized it before, but I'm not hearing as much about it as I did before. Yeah, it, it, it started out really strong. I would I would almost argue that the longer that this Oscar race has gone on, the the less intense the campaigning for the power of the dog has actually gotten overall, where it almost felt like it peaked a little too early, and that's probably hindering its chances. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. This it, it almost feels like the movies came and went already. Which seems to be a big Netflix problem overall and why they've really struggled and haven't been able to win a Best Picture Oscar yet. And and that's sort of maybe uh, a subject matter for a different episode, a deeper dive of, of why Netflix is having this issue overall. Like they, they do very well in getting nominations. They've gotten numerous amounts of wins, but they really have struggled with competing in the Best Picture category for whatever reason that is. And like... You know, I compare it to the TV side of things that they do, where at first it was so cool being able to like get an entire season of TV and you can binge watch in one weekend and be all caught up. And then I think collectively as a whole, we're kind of realizing, hey, we kind of miss these, you know, quote unquote, water cooler moments, even though most people don't work in offices anymore <laughs> uh, or have water coolers. But this idea that you can engage with fans online uh, or in person and be like, oh, hey, did you uh, did you catch the the new episode of, you know, whether it was Pam and Tommy recently or uh, trying to think of or uh, Peacemaker or things like that, where people are all excited to talk about it week by week and wonder what's happening next, as opposed to being like, I watched this entire thing this weekend and then it's dead. Sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Every everything that shows up on Netflix explodes onto the scene, and then it just fizzles out and dies over the course of a week, maybe two weeks. But these episodic things that are being released on on like Disney Plus or Hulu, that's what people are talking about for 
two months at a time, sometimes three months at a time, depending on how many episodes there are. And I think that does kind of bleed a little bit into their films. Um, Netflix is, for whatever reason, feels kind of disposable. You watch it and then you forget it and you move on with your life and that's uh, it. And I think a part of me wonders if maybe I would have a higher opinion on Power of the Dog if I did see it in a theater. Maybe mm. maybe those performances would have hit me a little bit harder if I didn't have the you know, the everyday distractions of just, you know, watching something in your home, having that kind of need to like, oh, this is kind of a slow part. I might pick up my phone and, you know, as much as I don't, you know, like to do that, uh, part of me wonders if like the sound or I don't know, it would just have more of an intense impact if I had seen it in a theater. Yeah, you're not wrong. And and I completely agree. It's a very slow burn movie and, and a type of movie like this really requires your full and undivided attention. And if you find some moments of, you know, the landscapes and stuff like that, and you go, oh, look, I just got a text message. Let me just quickly respond to that. And then, you know, before you know, you you sort of lose your connection with whatever connection you may have had with this atmosphere to begin with. Yes, absolutely. Let's move over to the supporting actor category. And it's always interesting when you have two nominees in a single category because you have to wonder aloud, is there a possibility of a vote split? And you look at these two nominees, Cody Smith-McPhee and Jesse Plemons, and it seems pretty clear that Jesse Plemons is, is just happy to be there. And and Cody Smith McPhee is the real uh, leader of this race as as far as for this film goes. And I I don't think there actually is going to be vote splitting. Like there, I know there's been movies in the past where it's been so close, and you have to wonder if that's caused uh, someone to lose this race. But I look at this, and I don't think Jesse Plemons is going to be the downfall of Cody Smith McPhee if he ends up winning. No, absolutely not. It. Like you said, Jesse Plemons is probably the number one pick across every film nominated this year for Just Happy to Be There. Just just such a, a not even a mediocre performance, but he's such a small role. He doesn't have an opportunity to really showcase anything that is deserving of Best Supporting Actor. While with Cody Smith McPhee, not only is his performance phenomenal in this movie, but it's one of the best performances of the year across the board. So I don't think Jesse Plemons will impact McPhee's chances, Smith McPhee, excuse me, his chances at all. And what about you, Mary? Yeah. Uh, Jesse Plemons is my long shot. Uh, and at first I thought that he would, I would have him listed as a, just happy to be here. But I'm actually putting uh, J.K. Simmons and being the Ricardos as my just happy to be here because I really don't think that there's very much to pull on from him in that movie. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think that Cody Smith McPhee is the front runner, hands down. I I can't think, and I, I haven't seen Belfast just yet. That's our that's our last best picture to watch. So I I can't speak on um, Syrian Hines, but uh, but but for me, he he's a front runner for sure. I think he was the strongest in this movie. 
Um, and yeah, that's that's really all I have to say about uh, Cody Smith McPhee. Well, I guess we're really talking about Jesse Plemons, but <laughs> well, we're, we're talking about both yeah. here, and and I think to to your point, uh, Kyle. I sort of agree that Jesse Plemons is probably the, the biggest, just happy to be there with, you said you haven't seen Belfast yet, along with someone like Judy Dench. Um, but for very different reasons. Judy Dench has very much have been there, done that. This isn't her Oscar sort of thing, so she doesn't need to worry about it. Jesse Plemons, I think a lot of people are very excited and happy that he's finally gained the recognition he deserves. People have been growing up watching him from his time on like Friday Night Lights and Breaking Bad through to being very memorable in a lot of movies along the way. And so I think people are happy that he, he's finally getting his name out there. But yeah, he he sort of, his character just disappears about halfway through the movie and doesn't show up until the very end. And, and it's such a, a weird thing where you're just like, oh, hey, I guess dad's back sort of thing. Um, yeah, and it, you, I, I think it really hinders him. Yeah, you don't, and you don't really miss him when he's gone too. You're You're not, really i'm not really invested in what he's contributing to this story mm. that yeah in no way is it his story he's not impacted by any of the the plot points or the decisions of these characters it's very much a story of benedict cumberbatch and i would say kirsten dunce with cody smith mcphee kind of being the the resolution to to the turmoil in their relationship yeah what do you think of the uh, Cody Smith-McPhee race versus Troy Kotzer? Because it really sort of seems that's coming down to the two of them. Where do you stand on on that race? So we had just watched Coda a few days ago, and I honestly was blown away by Troy Kotzer's performance. He immediately became my front runner for this category. I fell in love with him and his character. I would want, I would like nothing more than to see him take this home. Uh, but I do think Cody Smith McPhee still has a, a lot of drive leading up to the Academy Awards. Yeah, I, I really want Troy Kotzer to win. I really do because I just fell in love with him in Coda. But I do think that out of everything, I think that. Cody Smith McPhee has the most push out of everybody in this category. It's an interesting two horse race because as we talked about it with best actor, the Oscars like a good narrative and, and that's what Will Smith has going for him. We look at maybe the narratives for Cody Smith McPhee and Troy Kotzer and they're both kind of similar in their own perspective, respective ways. You have Cody Smith McPhee, who, you know, if you look at his IMDb, he's been around for quite a while. You know, he first popped up in the uh, Viggo Mortensen movie, The Road, when he was a very young child and sort of grown up in front of everyone. I don't even know how old he is, but he still looks like he's a teenager, even though I'm sure he's probably closer to 30. <laughs> he really than he does look very young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but... The road was what, like fifteen plus years ago, maybe more. Uh, it's it's quite old now. Uh, so yeah. he's sort of got this narrative of this young performer who's you know making a big push into the limelight, and the Oscars love rewarding uh, a young performer every once in a while. And then on the flip side, you've got Troy Kotzer who has toiled away as a theater actor, performing mostly 
bit parts on television sort of as the uh, token deaf person on stuff like Law and Order and CSI and things like that every once in a while has this fantastic performance. And the Oscar also loves rewarding this big breakthrough performance from someone that is not traditionally in the limelight. So they both sort of have similar newcomer-ish narratives, but for very different reasons. That's a great point. I I had not even really thought about that. And and yeah, I would agree with you on that. It's it's similar but different. And it's just like which which narrative do they want to go for this year, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I hope it's Troy Cutzer. <laughs> it's a it's a really it. fantastic performance. At this point, uh, I I really can't decide who I think is going to end up taking it. It it sort of feels like it's going to be a bit of a coin flip. You know, if Troy Kotzer wins, maybe people you, you'll probably get a few people on Twitter and whatnot being like, "Oh, Jesse Plemons stole votes from Cody Smith McPhee," uh, which, like we talked about, I don't really think that's going to happen. But you know what? If if Troy Kotzer wins, I would not be surprised if there's a bit of a narrative behind that of of that's why Smith McPhee ended up losing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's such a tragedy if that's the discord that that takes off because of that, because that, the performance is so deserving of the win, regardless of how it gets there. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll be upset if I hear that, but. It's expected, I guess. <laughs> yes, we, we can't have the Oscars without lots of uh, annoying narratives. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Best Supporting Actress for Kirsten Dunst. This was a bit of a surprise nomination for me to begin with. I didn't think she really stood a shot. It is a very quiet and internal performance. She does have, you know, uh, a few quote-unquote showy moments where she's you know having a bit of a breakdown stuff like that but for the most part this is a very quiet performance overall you both seem to be fans of this performance though aren't you i think she is one of the strongest performances in this movie uh she like you said it's very quiet but she she's able to showcase everything she's feeling and going through this this torture she's going through so well without hardly saying a word at times. Uh, I'm I'm in love with her performance in this movie. Um, I I am not a fan of this performance. I my oh, okay. <laughs> my jaw dropped when I was I was at work watching the uh, nominations being announced, and when I saw her name or heard her name, I, my my jaw literally dropped because it was just not expected. Um. When I, yeah. So uh, I just, she's, she's a long shot for me as well. Uh, uh, She's, I kind of put her in the same boat as her husband, Jesse Plemons. I just, I think there were a lot more stronger performances than, than hers. Yeah, I'm. I'm categorizing her as a dark horse. I was I was very surprised by her nomination, but it really sort of seems like it's Ariana DeBose's Oscar to lose. She has been winning all the precursors and, and seems to be going in very strong for this last stretch of voting period. Yes, that's who I have as my front runner as well. Uh, as much as I did enjoy Kirsten Dunst's performance, Ariana DeBose, she, she's going to take it home. There's not a doubt in my mind, honestly. Do you agree yeah, with that, really? I, I feel very, very strongly that I, just as the same way my jaw dropped when 
I saw that Kirsten Dunst was nominated, my jaw would drop if she did not win, or if uh, Ariana DeBose did not win for uh, Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> of course, of course. And there's the narrative there as well, uh, if DeBose takes it home with Rita Moreno winning the Oscar back uh, with the original West Side Story. So I think that's driving a lot of her chances as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, also being tied for the, the first openly queer person to be nominated for an acting award at the time that the nomination came out, uh, I think is, is a, is a really strong storyline for her too. Yeah. She's got a lot, a lot going yeah, for her. She does. And I, I honestly believe that she deserves it. Uh, she was kind of my pick before the nominations came out that, uh, she was kind of the first, uh, actress it was the first performance I saw that I was like yes this this has to be nominated please because she's just she's <laughs> really knocking this role out of the park very nice all right let's move over to best adapted screenplay this is uh, a film that is based on a short story no it's based on a novel I believe and it's got some very stiff competition Drive My Car, Dune, The Lost Daughter, and Coda all seem to be very strong uh, story-wise, but I sort of feel that very often the Best Picture winner also ends up getting one of the screenplay nominations, and if I am currently picking The Power of the Dog to win Best Picture, I feel like it is my duty to also predict that The Power of the Dog will win uh, a screenplay award, which in this case would be Best Adapted Screenplay. If it ends up losing Best Picture, then maybe it, it's it's anyone's game. But I think at the moment, the two will sort of go hand in hand if it ends up winning Best Picture. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Power of the Dog, it's it's not necessarily my front runner, so I don't know that I see the adapted screenplay coming home with a win. Uh, I, I kind of lean towards Dune, and, and this might be a, pers- a very personal opinion. Um, Dune for years has been considered unadaptable for the big screen and Denny Villeneuve just he made a movie that so many people are falling in love with uh he, he's done the impossible really so that that's kind of my front runner and I think that puts power of the dog as my dark horse for best adapted screenplay yeah and I, okay yeah I, I hear you yeah and I'm gonna have to agree with Kyle on this one I, I have the same sort of thoughts about it. I, I think that if Power of the Dog wins Best Picture, we can definitely see it taking home adapted screenplay. But I I think I was just impressed with Dune. I think I was expecting to go into Dune and be bored. And I wasn't. I was very engaged the whole time. And I contribute that I contribute that to a lot of things, but uh, ma- mainly with the the screenplay. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, I, I understand what you're saying with that. And yeah, that does that does make sense. You know, people were very surprised when Denis Villeneuve didn't end up getting nominated for best director because it did so well everywhere else. And and yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if it does end up getting adapted screenplay. Of course, they could pull uh, a Return of the King and basically wait until Dune Part Two to give everything to it then. But that's so hard to predict what they're going to do in the moment. It's easier to look at it after the fact to see what they, they did. Yeah. I, I think I would say if, if Dune ends up taking home, not as much as I'm expecting it to, 
I would expect for Dune uh, Part 2 to really, really take home what I think it deserves. Very true. What about you, Kyle? How do you feel about that? Yeah, bringing up Lord of the Rings and, and Return of the King taking home everything kind of after the entire story was released. Uh, that's a really good comparison to make to Dune. Um, and it does make sense. But having having read the book Dune and, and kind of had to, to drag myself through most of that story, I, I just think it's so impressive what it what it did, how it, how it's just so enjoyable on the big screen. It's hard not to put that as my front runner, but I I will say power of the dog just as a whole, the way everything, while it is a slow burn, everything flows so well together. And I think the dialogue is really strong and it has so many haunting moments and scenes that if anything was going to take the win beyond Dune, it would definitely be Power of the Dog. All right. Let's move over to Best Cinematography. And, and for me, for my money, this is probably one of the most stacked years I've ever seen for this category. All five nominees, I think, are, are so beautifully shot, and I'm so happy with them. Obviously, if, if I was making my own nominees, I would probably have a few different ones, but I have very little to quibble with the five that ended up getting nominated. With night with uh sorry with the power of the dog we really get these beautiful landscapes and if you weren't told that it was New Zealand you wouldn't know it was New Zealand you know I know we're now once again talking about uh, connections to the country with Lord of the Rings and such but uh, Jane Campion and the cinematographer Ari Wagner did such a great job of making New Zealand look like the Wild West for me absolutely I I never would have known it was filmed in New Zealand. And I, me personally, I, I always put the cinematography and the production design together uh, because they they kind of lean on each other so much, especially this year with all of the nominations being the same across the two categories. I, I think The Power of the Dog, I was watching a, a recap, a compilation of all of the sound clips from the movie to kind of refresh my memory. And there were scenes playing from the movie, of course, and it's so beautifully shot, even without the landscapes, just the framing of simple things like a car pulling out of a a garage or a barn, I guess at the time it's, it's incredible how gorgeous this movie is. And when you do pair it with the production design of the movie where they did, they built this, this little ranch I don't know. I I think I have it as my front runner in both categories. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I have cinematography, you know, as a dark horse only because I think Dune is going to really push hard and sweep a lot of the technical categories. And we're going to talk about some of the other ones yeah. as well. Uh, I, I would be very happy with Power of the Dog winning cinematography. But for me, I really think it's Dune's to lose. Uh, I agree with that, Dakota. I I have Power of the Dog as my dark horse in this category, and Dune as my front runner. Um, it it and it's hard because there it's the cinematography is beautiful in absolutely all of these films. I, I really, 
I really have this gut feeling that West Side Story is a front runner, but I don't know if it has the push. I don't know if that is what people see in this movie, even though I think it is some of the best cinematography I've I've seen in a movie, but I don't think it's just what really stands out with this type of movie. But Dune definitely taking West Side Story out of the picture is is the front runner with Power of the Dog being the dark horse. But I but I could see it going to Power of the Dog for sure. Let's go on to another technical category, and that is best film editing. And and once again, I'll, I'll sort of just be repeating myself with what I said with cinematography was, I feel like this is Dune's award to lose as well. And I consider Power of the Dog to be a dark horse. I like that they use the long, slow takes and the editing is minimal. I'm not too sure if the Oscars want a heavily edited film where they can point to that or if they want one where it is a bit slower. Yeah, I've, this year I've brought editing up a lot on on our podcast. It's the category I feel like I'm the least well-versed in. Uh, I un- Unless a movie is, is really cut up in a super unique way, which I think we'll talk a little bit about uh, with Don't Look Up, I, I struggle a little bit to be like, oh, I get, I get it. I understand how the editing works in this. So it's, it's always a hard one for me to call, but I, it, I think it's kind of a toss-up in a lot of the technical categories between Dune and The Power of the Dog. It's going to one or the other, and my front-runner and Dark Horse kind of flips back and forth between the two. Interesting. Mary Lee? Yeah, I've... I I really was not a fan of the editing in uh, Power of the Dog. That's just my, I just have hot takes all over when it comes to this movie. Um, it, it just <laughs> felt very jarring to me. And like, yes, there were some slow parts, but uh, there were just some decisions made that I just didn't think really worked. So it is my dark horse because I I truly do believe that anything that Dune doesn't get, like like Kyle said, the power of the dog will. I, I, I see that. And it's one of those things where it sort of feels like in some of these technical categories, Dune, you know, 10 miles of separation, and then whoever's the next closest contender. Right. And then I look at Don't Look Up, and I think, you know, our are is the academy maybe looking for something a little bit more quirky this time and i i think adam mckay movies kind of fit that that kind of different fast cuts yeah style so it, it's between those three for me actually uh dune power of the dog and don't look up yeah i don't want i don't want to spoil too much too much of my thoughts of don't look up so i'm going to save them for now but uh, but let's move over to production design, and and I know there's some people have been very surprised that this film got nominated. Obviously, it looks very nice. They do a great job with you know this house that they built, uh, the the ranch where they all live on. But you know you compare it to Dune and Nightmare Alley and Tragedy of Macbeth and West Side Story, which are so heavily designed and really create a, a very lived in world for them. I, I can sort of see where there's some confusion of, of how the power of the dog got in for its simplicity. And, you know, it, it's it's a tricky one. I, I think it's just happy to be there because I look at these 
of the cat of them all, Tragedy of Macbeth is is one of my favorite production designs I've ever seen. I love what they did with that look and in creating this sort of staged film version hybrid. But uh, but I agree. As much as I like the ranch in the the other settings of the Power of the Dog, it is just happy to be there for me. I agree with that completely. I I actually had it as a long shot, but looking looking at all these other ones, it, it is happy to be there because I don't think it really holds a candle uh, to the other four in this category. And I, I don't know. I just feel like the way Best Picture and Best Director usually go hand in hand together, I feel that way about cinematography and production design. Um, so it, I don't know. I, it's When I look at both categories with an emphasis on cinematography, I say power of the dog. When I look the opposite way with production design, I still feel like it stands such a good chance, even though it is just a, a ranch and that's kind of the entire film. But there are just so many details, I think, that exist in this movie that in a way add to the story and the atmosphere in, in really important ways. So I don't know. It's Dark Horse front runner, kind of a toy, coin Ooh. toss again. Interesting. Okay. I like that uh, you're, you're adding a little bit of uh, spiciness to this. We like to add spice for <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's move over to best original score. And this could have been the year that Johnny Greenwood could have gotten two nominations for his score work for Power of the Dog and for Spencer. And I'm so disappointed. He only got the one nomination because he's in my favorite band, Radiohead. And I've been loving his work that he's been doing for the last decade plus uh, longer than that, I guess, for 15 years, because Power um, There Will Be Blood came out quite a while ago in 2011, I believe it was. But I'm a, I'm a very big fan of this score, and I think it's a front runner. It's it's such a unique, and I believe it's going to go down as a bit of an iconic score. I completely agree. Just the same way I feel like Power of the Dog as a film is is this really interesting take on the western genre this is such a unique take on the western score it's haunting it's eerie it's creepy so many times does it it feels like a horror movie and i truly believe that without johnny greenwood's score this movie would not be half of the film it is so i personally like to think of it as the front runner front runner um but I almost put this as a technical category with the coin toss with Dune, even though traditionally the score isn't a technical category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love Johnny. I love Johnny Greenwood. One of my favorite scores of all time is Phantom Thread. I, I, oh, yes. I love that score to my to my core, and I think that this score is absolutely beautiful and i actually i feel like it's almost too good for this movie i i i, <laughs> I it's just so it like, like i said i don't think i if this score wasn't in this movie i would really not enjoy this movie at all um and so for that reason i'm going to i'm going to put it as a dark horse as much as as happy i would be to see 
Johnny Greenwood take it home because he definitely deserves it. I just think Dune, the Dune score just fits with that movie so much more. I don't know. It's really tough, but yeah, it's a dark horse for me for right now. You know, it, it's interesting. The The single track that I've seen people talk about the most has been from Dune. I believe it's called Ripples in the Sand, and it does capture what that film is perfectly. But when I think about the scene where Benedict Cumberbatch is bathing in the river with Bronco Henry's bandana, it feels like the scene in Joker uh, where where the Joker is dancing in the bathroom to that haunting string score. And that's that's an iconic movie. And I think that this also will be an iconic moment. Uh, just as you said, Dakota, this is this is going to be just iconic for years to come. Well, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page uh, for loving the score. Uh, in some cases, maybe believing it doesn't belong <laughs> to this movie because it's so good, which is a which is an interesting take. <laughs> Lastly, the last nomination this movie has is best sound, and this is this is also one where I'm a little bit confused. Much like production design, I haven't gone back and listened to a lot of the sound clips of this film kyle you said you did so i'm going to defer to you a little bit on maybe some more of the specifics but once again this this really sort of seems like dune and then a mile of of everything else and then i i am shocked that also belfast got nominated for this as much as i, I really like that movie it, the sound design is is not the main part of it you know this category is traditionally goes to war movies action movies things like that where there is a lot of actual complex layering of the sounds and it really feels like the power of the dog is just a very minimalistic sound design which it works for the film but not necessarily something i would think of as an oscar nominee or even winner so so kyle i'm going to defer to you if you can maybe fill me in on why you think this isn't even nominated when i was watching these clips from from the five movies nominated for sound you have things like No Time to Die and Dune that are they're they're loud, they're big, they're they're making gunshots and grenades and all the usual things like you mentioned in war movies and things. Uh, but the power of the dog, it was so fascinating how they were taking the sounds of the horses trotting down the path. Uh, there was a huge focus on Benedict Cumberbatch's spurs walking up the steps in this ranch home the the duel between Kirsten Dunst and him on the piano and the banjo respectively uh, e even something as small as Cody Smith McPhee cutting little pieces of paper with the sister uh, scissors there's very much a focus on the sound in this movie that I don't think I even realized when I was watching it but it it relies heavily on this to create this eerie ambiance uh so in a way i almost think the sound is just as important as the score in creating this almost horror movie feel that you don't expect going into a western movie what about you mary lee do, do you sort of feel similarly well to this? you know now that he says it i definitely can see that um 
I think what's Kyle and I talked about this on our Dune episode, and it's what's interesting about sound is have you ever tried to guess what a sound of something would be before you even hear it? And I think, and I think that's really impressive when coming up with sounds for things like Dune or even No Time to Die. It's just a little bit more impressive impressive to me um having to kind of create new sounds for things that don't exist in our world so i as much as i love kyle's point i just i see power of the dog being a long shot win on this one and you know if maybe if the academy heard kyle's speech they might vote differently but um (laughs) on that speech but great point that he made um, but I think that there's just a little bit more uh, stronger movies in this category. So it's a long shot for me. Uh, so to sort of recap it, I, I look at The Power of the Dog potentially getting anywhere from four to six wins on, on Oscar night. But I could definitely maybe see it maxing out at, at between three to five as as being more realistic. Yeah, I think it'll have more losses than wins. Um, and you know, it having 12 nominations, that seems about normal for a film that receives that many. It's, it's no return of the King for sure, but three to five, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with like three to four, three to four sounds good to me. Okay. Let's move on to Don't Look Up. This movie has four nominations, including Best Picture, Best Film Editing, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Original Score. Now, we're going to have to address this elephant in the Twitter room that this movie, you know, Best Picture is voted on by preferential ballot. I think this movie is going to be more popular than the average movie fan is going to want to admit to themselves, <laughs> especially considering that the Oscars as a whole enjoy cl- crowd-pleasing movies, ones that aren't going to depress them, like something like Power of the Dog will depress you. Don't Look Up is that movie that I think is going to it infuriates a lot of people because it's so on the nose and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to I'm going to have a bit of a hot take here. I don't hate this movie. I enjoyed it. It was okay. It wasn't great. It was just fine, which seems to be a hot take with this movie. You you either seem to be one side or the other. Uh I wouldn't be shocked if this movie, you know, we if we saw the preferential ballots, it ended up being higher than people wanted it to be. I don't think it's going to win though, but there is there is there is a small smidgen of possibility that that could happen. Am I crazy for thinking this, or or am I on some sort of a, a right track here? So you know how we mention Spielberg and Meryl Streep, they kind of just get invited and nominated because they are Spielberg and Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody thought they were supposed to do that with Adam McKay. <laughs> they were like, 
Oh, the big short? Vice? Yeah, absolutely. Adam McKay, he's he's the man. We want him at the Oscars every year, and we want to nominate him as many times as we can. So let's do Don't Look Up. And I just think it is the strangest nomination for Best Picture this year. It makes zero sense to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dakota. It's just bizarre. I am not offended at all. <laughs> uh, you're not going to die on the hill that, you know— don't look up deserves to be here this year. <laughs> um, I it's it's so weird because I totally agree with you, Dakota. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it was fine. I I did enjoy watching it. It was very interesting. It's kind of like watching. I wouldn't call this like a car crash. You can't look away because I I don't think it's a total. I don't. It, it's got so many great elements in it but putting them all together it just the pro the end product is very strange and I, I think it's happy to be here kind of teetering on the line of long shot um it, it this was kind of one of those where my jaw kind of dropped a little bit when I heard this for best picture I kind of expected this to be nominated for something uh, but I didn't know it would it would pull out a full on best picture nomination. I agree. And I, I was a little surprised. And I almost wonder if Adam McKay is approaching Aaron Sorkin levels of self parody in the sense of you look at Aaron Sorkin's career as a screenwriter and it's just banger after banger after banger. At the beginning of this episode, we were talking about briefly the Oscars in 2010 and social network was nominated. That is one of my favorite all time screenplays. And ever since Aaron Sorkin has decided that he's a director now. <laughs> His worst tendencies have not been able to be reined in by someone as talented as David Fincher to be able to be like, I understand what you're doing here. I know how to translate it, and I'm going to do that masterfully. And I sort of feel like Adam McKay is approaching that. He's got some really interesting, great ideas. You know, the satire is there. He's got some some great performances, really interesting dialogue, very quippy. I like his style, but he's getting to the point of self-parody. Absolutely adore The Big Short. It's one of my favorite movies of the last decade. Uh, and Vice, I thought, was a, a big mess. And Don't Look Up just sort of seems like he's getting to the point where no one is able to tell him no because he has all of this success. It, it He should have been reined in a little bit for different points, and he wasn't. And and we end up with this jumbled mess of, hey, this is some really interesting stuff going on and some strong performances. And, you know, I like the the individual components, but in the end, it's just kind of like, blah, what is going on here? Yeah, it, it's so weird to me. It feels like a big budget, poorly thought out SNL skit in a way. But then it also brings, there are teeters on the edge of something like a Kevin Smith podcast movie where they were just <laughs> sitting around smoking and they were like oh, oh wait wait you know it would be funny and they wrote down every little idea they had and then brought it to the big screen and like you said they had a big budget and nobody said no so they got to do it all and it just does not work for me so you're saying don't look up is basically the sequel to tusk <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's the sequel to yoga hosers <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, uh, yeah. 
this this I know I know people are going to be very very unhappy if it ends up winning a best picture and I don't think it does. I agree with you Mary Lee that it's it's sort of in that realm halfway between just happy to be there in a long shot because I think there are going to be members who the same type of people that vote for Green Book that vote for Crash they're probably going to enjoy this movie because they think it solves uh, climate mm-hmm. change and, and global warming and that they've they've nailed the solution. And so there's going to be people, especially with Meryl Streep in it, you're going to get people that are like, oh, Meryl Streep movie, check mark that box there. But yeah, overall, it's going to have a few people that are probably going to feel very strongly about voting it high up. And then everyone else is going to be like, nope, this is my number nine or 10 movie. Yeah, Kyle, you made a great point when we were talking (laughs) about this on our podcast that you feel like this movie came out just a little bit too late, that it would have maybe... You may have might have enjoyed it if it came out in like what 2016 or something, where the the satire is still it's still true, but it just doesn't hit as close to home as it does now in 2022. Yeah, don't release the movie, the satirical movie, after you're completely exhausted by the last five or six years of true politics. Because yeah. I, I have lived this. I don't want to see it again. <laughs> I'm still yeah. living this. It's just too much. <laughs> and as someone watching from afar, it's exhausting too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would I would almost compare it to something like Idiocracy, where if Idiocracy came out today, you'd be like, this this is not on point at all. Like we, we know this sort of stuff. If Don't Look Up came out, like you said, in 2016, 2015, and instead was predicting the future as opposed to just holding a mirror up to society, I think it would hit very differently. Yes. Actually, Dakota, have you seen the uh, documentary short Lead Me Home nominated this year? No, I have not yet. Okay. Well, that, that one deals with homelessness, and it's it's so similar to Don't Look Up without the satire. Where you, like you said, you're holding a lens up to society, but you're not saying this is what we can do. This is what we should do. Here's a solution. Nothing. You're just showing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, there's nothing here for me. This is not, (laughs) this is nothing but a big joke about something that I'm just tired of joking about. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. Let's move over to best editing. And Mary Lee, you you briefly mentioned it in our Power of the Dog section. Is there the possibility that the Oscars decide to go for most editing as opposed to best editing? If that was the case, uh, this would be the front runner because Don't Look Up has the most editing. It, it does. And it's... It's almost like it, it does that work in its favor or is it just too much? And it's there's just so much going on in this movie that it's really hard to tell. Would it have benefited from the reins being pulled back a little bit or is it exactly what was needed and exactly right for the tone of the movie? <laughs> yes. Because he's basically done the same formula now three times between the big short, Vice, and now Don't Look Up. And it almost feels like it's diminishing returns, except for by the time time Vice came out, I was already tired of 
this style. And by the time Don't Look Up came out, it was, okay, we get it. You like the fast cuts. You like the the inserts. You like the celebrity cameos, all that sort of stuff. It's definitely the most unique editing of the nominees this year. Um, Hank Corwin definitely has a signature style. But for me, that style kind of feels like he was editing Don't Look Up, dropped a couple of reels of film, and maybe picked up a couple of uh, other reels that shouldn't be there and called it a day. It's, it's messy. It feels messy, his style. And I don't know that it works in films like this, political satire. Uh, and I think that sometimes when people see something different, they kind of sometimes mistake that for being good and great because it's it's different. They haven't seen that before. Wow, that's very, uh, very progressive of you. I, I don't know. And Unique. Yeah. And I think you have to take a look and say, no, is this really right? Is this really the the way they should have gone with it? So... Is it adding anything to the film? It's sort of interesting. You, you mentioned Hank Corwin as the editor, so I decided to pull up uh, his Wikipedia page just to sort of see what else he's done. And interestingly enough, the very first movie he edited was Natural Born Killers, the yes, which has a style that I would say is very similar to what Adam McKay is doing currently, this sort of you know, blending pop culture, uh, fiction and reality together. And then I also sort of see that he did uh, two Terrence Malick films, The New World and The Tree of Life. And and I don't know if that could be any farther from his style or maybe it is just an extension of his style. It's, it's, it's a, he's got a very interesting career. Yeah, absolutely. And Tr- Tree of Life was a weird movie for me to watch i barely remember it now but the editing style definitely plays a huge part in that movie and natural born killers is like borderline tarantino to me but the editing in that like i said it feels messy and sloppy but i think that type of story benefits from hank corwin's style whereas vice and and don't look up they they need to be a little more grounded yeah, I agree. I, I have this as a long shot only because there is the very real possibility that they decide to go for most editing, but I don't really think it's going to win. Yeah, I Completely agree. It's, agree. It's a long shot for me. All right, let's move over to Best Original Screenplay, which basically is a discussion continuing what we were just saying about Best Picture. There's a lot going on in this screenplay. A lot. Some of it works, some of it doesn't, some of it's funny, some of it's cringy, some of it's sappy, some of it's sincere. It, it's so all over the place, and it doesn't really land perfectly anything that it's trying to do, to the point where, I, I don't know, if you were to say, you know, edit some scenes down, chop some scenes down, you'd be like, great, you, you, you land it what you're trying to do. Oh, and then you've just went on for an extra 30 seconds and you've just lost it all. So this, this is, this is also another unique nomination where (laughs) I don't think it's warranted at all. And I'm, and I'm very surprised, but like you were saying, Kyle, that maybe Adam McKay is now just, uh, Hey, you got a new movie coming out. Great. Here's a bunch of Oscar nominations. Totally, totally. Cause this is, uh, just happy to be there as it can get for me. 
Yeah, yeah. It same for me. Just happy to be be here. Uh, it's I don't know. It's tough. I, I'm always so happy to see comedies or you know any type of like any genre of film that's not a typical Oscar nomination. And, and I feel that way with Don't Look Up. It, it, it's a comedy, and I think. It's just it's it translates weird onto the the script. I don't know. It's it's def compared to to everything else. It is. I don't think it's anywhere near. I I agree with that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't I, I don't even know what else to really add about this category. There's just so much going on. It's so convoluted and bloated and all over the place that it just it just doesn't work overall. Even though, like I said, I think this movie is okay. I, I'm. It, it's such a weird hill. I'm not dying on it, but at the same time, I feel like I need to justify that. Like, eh, it's okay, guys. It, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I've seen worse movies. I'm, I'm looking at my letterbox list. I, I rank everything I see in a year, and I have it ranked 55th out of uh, 108 movies so far. So it's it's squarely middle of the pack for me, which reflects its. I think I gave it a two and a half or a three star rating. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like I just can't come out and say I don't like it or it's not good. I I have a hard time <laughs> saying that be- because there are things that are good about it. It's a it's a very bizarre movie and it's definitely a great movie to discuss and talk about with people. Yeah, and I th- I think it being nominated at the Oscars honestly makes it a worse movie <laughs> for me because you you start to break it down more than this film can handle. It's not meant to be broken down in the same way that something like Power of the Dog or Licorice Pizza or Nightmare Alley Dune. So that's a great point. You make the discussion too big and it's like, what are we doing with Don't Look Up? This should not be here. (laughs) The last thing it's nominated for is Best Original Score. Which is something one of the I think one of the few things it's being praised for. Nicholas Bertel, I think a lot of people are, are really becoming big fans of his work. He's been constantly up there for some of the, the better scores for the last few years. And it's one that I was okay with, but once again I look at the rest of the nominees and it doesn't really belong to be there in that group for me. I, I have it just happy to be there, frankly. So this is actually the one thing in the movie that I think stands any kind of chance. Um, Nicholas Bertel, he he does incredible work. He's uh, done Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, and he recently won an Emmy for Succession. He does very, very impressive work. And I think that it the nomination is warranted. Um, it, it fits in well with all of the other nominees. It, it's just... It's the only thing this movie really has going for it. So I put it as a long shot just because of the hype that could be built around Nicholas Bertel. Interesting. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I I put it as a long shot because I think this is one of the best parts of this movie. Um, It can be, it's kind of, I feel like there's two different scores going on. And I think they kind of blend together very well. I think you have serious moments in this movie, and then you have your kind of outrageous, uh, funny, kind of 
cringy moments. And I think the music reflects that very well. And it, it, I, I don't see it winning definitely, but I, I don't see it being like bottom of the barrel either. Yeah, I, I agree that Nicholas Bertel's having such a, a great few years, especially with his work on Succession. But yeah, I, uh, I, I hear what you're saying about it being higher than, than just happy to be there. I, I just, for me, I look at its fellow nominees, especially with Power of the Dog and Dune, and just really struggle to sort of see how it has any sort of path to win. Parallel Mothers, as much as I enjoyed that movie, I think doesn't really stand a chance in this, probably because most people haven't seen it other than uh, for for other than for Penelope Cruz's performance. So I, I was very surprised that that got nominated. But yeah, I, I would probably put this movie as maybe the fourth out of the five nominees if I were to rank them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, was just, I, I really enjoyed Parallel Mothers uh, as soon as that movie started. That 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 score started playing. I'm like, this is fantastic, um, but it just uh, I I was kind of surprised that it was there even after watching the movie. So I guess to sort of wrap that movie up, I would I I don't think Don't Look Up is going to walk away with any wins. Uh, I like I can't even see a path. Like yeah, we talked about editing and maybe screenplay and even maybe score, but like I I don't think it has any real shot. I I'm squarely putting this at zero wins. Yeah, same. There's so many like there's so many what ifs with this that I just don't think it's it's taken home anything. And and what an infuriating movie too to to be the one to knock out something like The Green Knight or The French Dispatch. You know? Mm. What what are we doing, guys? Do we need Adam McKay (laughs) to show up when we got movies like that? (laughs) Yeah, you're you're not wrong at all and as, as someone that was uh, firmly on uh, The Green Knight as one of the best movies of the year, who was very disappointed that it didn't get any Oscar nominations, uh, I completely agree with you there, Kyle. Any win that Don't Look Up takes home is just going to be a slap in the face from The Green Knight. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> Well, you know, The Green Knight was such a complicated movie. How could exactly. anyone get it? It's just... <laughs> yeah. God forbid you have to think. <laughs> Speaking of some thinking, let's uh, get into our last movie that we're going to talk about today, which is probably uh, the thinker movie out of all the Best Picture nominees, and that is Drive My Car. It is nominated for four Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Directing for Raisuki Hamaguchi, Best International Feature, and Best Adapted Screenplay. This was a movie I was hearing about for a while of, hey, this movie is really good. It's long, but it's really good. And I was not prepared to how much it was going to absolutely blow me away. And I think out of most of the nominees this year, this is probably the one that has stuck with me the longest, where I, I often go back and think about how much I really love this movie, and I'm so happy that it's nominated. Are the two of you a fan of this movie? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I am so happy to hear that. Yeah, this we saw this in theaters once. We the the Oscar buzz of it really started to hit our, I guess, our internet. You could say, um, and we're like, all right, we've we got to go see this. It's playing at this really awesome old movie theater in Atlanta, and let's like let's go do this. And we were we came out of that movie so surprised at how much we enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a type of movie where it just really forces you to just sit there and contemplate everything. And and it does such a good job of of just nailing every beat and creating this world where you just kind of want to sit there and listen to to hearing them rehearse this play that they're working on and overhear these conversations that they're having in the car. I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. I asked you if you guys like this movie. I know you guys both loved it. I listened to your episode. It was the first one that I checked out of your show. I was like, I haven't heard any podcast yet about this. I'm going to hear what their thoughts are. Uh, and I was so happy that the two of you loved it as much as you did. Isn't it great when you really like a movie well, and thanks. other people like it too? And you're just like, yeah, we like this movie. And it's just, it's just a nice, it's just nice for other people to like things that you don't think... Confirmation yeah, and bias. it's just it's it's this is a movie that I feel like I would be very selective on who I recommended it to because I don't think I could handle people watching it and not liking it. I wouldn't want to hear that. So, <laughs> mm. yes, yeah, I I completely agree with you there because it's not just that it's a long movie and it's not just that. It's in a different language. It's it's such a, a meditative film that you really have to be in the right headspace and be willing to accept this story into you in order to fully appreciate it. And I agree. You know, I, I've got some you know movie friends or, or non movie friends in general. When they refer stuff, they'll just you know refer it all willy nilly. I'm like, yeah, but do you know the person you're you're recommending this to? Are you sure that they're going to be into this? I'm I'm a little more reserved with what I refer to people until I know what their taste is. And this would be you know right at the top of the mountain of I am not recommending this movie to you unless I know exactly. You like yeah, it. it's a shame that international films tend to be those movies. Um, I I do love how committed. Risuke Hamaguchi was to the length of the film because this is adapted from a short story <laughs> and he turned it into a three hour film. Like I think the film takes longer to watch than the story takes to read, but you need <laughs> it. it. It This is an epic film. You know, it's, it feels like an epic film. Uh, I don't like a Lord of the Rings or a, a why can't I think of any other long movies? Because that's the one everyone talks about for being long. <laughs> it just long. feels like it needs to be this. <laughs> right, right. But I don't know. It, it's so necessary to be long. And I love the commitment to placing like the opening title screen like 30, 40 minutes into the movie. Like this is a long form of storytelling and it works so well. If you just allow yourself to sit down and really take it all in. Yeah, it's so interesting because that this opening section is a prologue and you watch it in it. And I was listening to your conversation that didn't need to be there. But the fact that it is there is just 
it just adds so much to this world already. We could have gotten either flashbacks or characters could have just been discussing what had happened. All this stuff could have they they could have found interesting ways to incorporate it into the main story, but they didn't. They decided he decided to show it to us and get basically an episode of television of this backstory of this man and his wife and how he became the person he eventually became, which is such a a bold move as a director to do. Yeah, and it, it's kind of like your hook, you know that 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 long cold open if you will it's kind of like all right if you enjoyed that then then yes sit down relax and and we're gonna get into this film and if not then it's like well maybe maybe it's time for you to move on because if you can't appreciate this then then maybe maybe this isn't for you honestly that's not a bad idea where you make someone just watch that intro and at the end of it when the credits start if you say Hey, this story that uh, this woman was writing, are you interested in finding out what happens next? If not, turn this yeah. movie off now. Yeah, exactly. What, but I'm going to sit yeah. here and watch yeah, it. The first 30, <laughs> 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about the odds that it has to win Best Picture. You know, it's it's phenomenal that it broke out of the international category, much like Parasite did a few years ago, and has four nominations, three not in the international category, which is huge for any movie not made in the English language. And and for Japan to have its first Best Picture nominee is, is, is a huge achievement. Unfortunately, you know, the length, the language barrier, the subject matter, the fact that it's not a crowd-pleasing movie, all this sort of stuff, I feel like really stacks against it. There's going to be people who are going to have it number one on their ballot, but for everyone that does, I think there's going to be three or four Academy members that has it very low on their list. Does it have a path to win? Maybe. Not really. I'm kind of putting this as a long shot. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you there. I kind of do compare... You know, you mentioned Parasite earlier, and I I have made kind of a lot of comparisons with this, uh, with Drive My Car and Parasite, simply because it's a uh, international film nominated for Best Picture, and I just don't see that. I, I feel like everybody was talking about Parasite up until the day we watched the Oscars. It was just the buzz never went away, and I definitely felt like maybe that was going to be the case with this one, but it has fizzled out for sure, at least on, on what I'm seeing. And I, I think it is a long shot that it will win. What about you, Kyle? I agree with it being a long shot. I like to think that Parasite winning and Bong Joon-ho giving that legendary speech about the, the three inch wall, uh, the barrier with foreign language films would kind of make this a more probable win, but it it is three hours long. That turns off a lot of people. There is the language barrier that turns off a lot of people. That's all unfortunate. Um, but even outside of all of that, I think that there are other films that are are just kind of ahead of it for for one reason or another. As much as I love this. It just kind of falls behind a few of the other nominees. Yeah, that's that's very fair. And it, it sort of will go down as maybe one of the movies later on, you know, 20, 30 years from now of, wow, can you believe that Drive My Car didn't win Best Picture? It lost to such and such movie. 
And, yeah. and it will sort of become that sort of folklore of great movies that don't end up winning Best Picture or are not appreciated enough in their time. Absolutely. I could totally see that happening. Now, let's go over to Best Director for Raisuke Hamaguchi. And it's sort of continuing the same conversation we were just having with Best Picture. I am so happy that he got nominated for this. But, like, what is, what's his path? His path is somehow Jane Campion not winning despite being the front runner, Kenneth Branagh not winning for having an intensely personal story, Steven Spielberg not winning for being able to remake a classic musical and updating it to modern times, beating out Paul Thomas Anderson also having another fantastic career year with a, a deeply personal film as well. How, how does Hamaguchi have any sort of path when it's such an uphill battle to face against such known entities and best director isn't really a category of the Oscars be like, Hey, newcomer, here's an Oscar. It's much more of a career achievement award. Yeah. I, I think he, he has more going against him than he has going for him. For sure. He doesn't have a path to win this. Um, I don't know. I would love to see just the unthinkable happen and him take home the win. But like you said, there's there's really no hope of that happening. Not with who he's up against and why he's why the other nominees have received their nominations this year. It's just not happening for him. Yeah, it kind of makes you think. Any other year, maybe he would. I feel like maybe if he was nominated. If it was a movie that came out last year, I mean, in like 2020, I feel like maybe it would be Mm. him and Chloe Zhao up against each other, possibly. But this year, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the directors have such a close connection with the movie that they made this year that it's it's, it's really, a lot would have to happen. For, for him to take that home. I was ready to push back on, on your idea of that. Maybe if it was a different year, but I would, I would, I would argue that any other year, I, I don't think he had a chance except mm-hmm. for last year, because last year was the year where all the big movies got pushed back a year, including West side story. If it did come out last year, maybe, yeah, maybe it did have a strong chance, but other than that, I, I, I just don't see how the, the subject matter and the language barrier in the length would be enough to overcome it. The only way I could see it is if maybe this was the second time he was nominated for best director. If maybe like five years ago he was nominated or, you know, a decade ago he won best international film and this is his big, you know, uh, second breakthrough in the English language market sort of thing. But maybe, so maybe it's Hamaguchi's next movie. And I hope that's what happens that, that this nomination allows him to make more and more films like this because he's already released uh, another epic of a film burning a few years ago that was so critically acclaimed. He has the ability to put out these incredible films, and I I hope his path ends up back at the Academy Awards in the future, in the near future, too. I will uh, make a slight correction. Burning was a, a Korean film directed by Lee Chong-dong, uh, not by Raisuki Hamaguchi. Wow. Is that right? What am I thinking? Yeah. 
He did have earlier this year Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which was uh, another big festival hit, though. Well, I apologize. I've been thinking wrong for a long time, and I appreciate the <laughs> correction. <laughs> all good, all good. Uh, let's let's talk about a category that you know, if you were to bet money on it, it's probably going to be the easiest return of the night, and that's best international film. Anytime you have a movie like Drive My Car that gets nominations outside of its, you know, uh, subcategory, I'm talking about the international films, the documentaries, and the animated films, you know it's basically a lock to win its category. Although this is a bit of an interesting year because we've got Flea, which is nominated for three awards, international, documentary, and animated, all together. And then you also have movies like Worst Person in the World, which has a nomination for screenplay as well. But all that said, Drive My Car is the absolute front-runner money in the bank for this to win. Would would the two of you yeah, agree with that? Yeah, I, I think uh, I am so wishy-washy on pretty much every category this year because there's just something about these movies that I can't I can't make a firm decision on which ones I think are going to win or not, but I I would feel very comfortable betting a good amount of money that Drive My Car is going to take international feature. If you nominate an international film for Best Picture, it seems so impossible for it to not win international feature. Yeah, because you're basically saying if if you're if you're thinking as an academy member the best picture you've got 10 nominees you are saying these are the 10 best movies of the year if no other international films crack the lineup already you're saying that they're not one of the 10 best exactly exactly right. absolutely this is basically as much of a lock as parasite winning best international film a few years ago as well too obviously it went on to win best picture and best director but it's very much the same sort of vein of oh yeah we know parasites winning best international yeah absolutely and uh i, I didn't roma do the same thing not too long ago yes you're right yeah where uh it was one of the front runners for best picture but it was nominated at the time the category was foreign language film i think when parasite won it was also called foreign language film it's only been the last two years that they changed it to international but yeah roma was the exact same way it seems like every three or four years it, it's definitely happening a lot more recently and i'm i'm so happy because i love international cinema but it, it, it sort of is a bit of a pattern where every three to four years, the Academy's like, hey, you know what? We're going to acknowledge that movies aren't just made in English. Yeah, it's it's a huge treat just as a, an audience member because you get the opportunity to see in a completely different style of cinema. This is one of my favorite categories every year. And Drive My Car was is such a treat. Yeah, it's 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 always the category where you're most likely to find some real hidden gems and in sort of especially if you're death racing, a lot of it is is a slog to get through. You're 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 stuck watching some mediocre movies just to cross off costumes or visual effects or original song. And then by the time you get to the international film category, it sort of just is like this is why I watch movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Completely agree. Let's uh, let's look at the last category for Drive My Car, and that's Best Adapted Screenplay. I would love it if they end up winning this category 
because you know you mentioned it's based on a short story written by Haruki Murakami. They took that story, but then it's from a anthology of short stories, I believe, and he pulled details from multiple of them to create this new story. And you know, it's tough because I haven't read any of the the actual source materials for any of these movies, uh, so it's really it's really tough to you know say is Coda better because it's based on a French movie or Dune because it's based on a book, is Lost Daughter and Power of the Dog also based on books. So it's really hard to really compare it. And are is the Academy judging this based on best adaption of something else? Or are they just basing it on the best screenplay aspect of it that happens to also be an adaptation? So it's tough because if if, if you're if you're putting the emphasis on the adaptation, I would have to say that Drive My Car is a front runner. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I'm kind of calling this a long shot because we were talking about Power of the Dog earlier. You got Power of the Dog and Dune, which are the two real big names in this category. And Drive My Car sort of feels like a bit of an afterthought compared to them. Yeah, I love when a film is adapted from a a book or a story and they they take a short story or uh, a... Actually, a big example for me is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I read that book, and the adapted version that Taika Waititi made for the big screen is so vastly different from the book, and I think it's such a huge improvement. So I love when the adaption actually changes, in a way, the source material and improves on it, and Drive My Car pulling from different short stories is so impressive, and I love that. So I, while I would love to see it win in that category, I still stand by Power of the Dog being a front runner, uh, just because of all of the the nominations as a whole and the the driving force behind that movie, and then Dune just being the unadaptable story finally making it onto the big screen as a success. Yeah, I I kind of agree with everything Kyle said. It's it's almost like our as much as we appreciate the length of Drive My Car, is the Academy maybe going to look at this and say, man, did you have to adapt it to be that long? I I don't really know what their thought process is on an adapted uh, screenplay, because I think there's just so many different ways you can look at it. You know, do you, do you want it to be exactly like what it's adapted from? Or do you like to see changes? Um it's 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 tricky but it's it's a long shot but if it did win i would not be surprised yeah that's uh that that's a good way of putting it it would be it would be a very pleasant mm-hmm. surprise for me if if i may point out real quick my confusion with the <laughs> film burning uh actually stems from haruke murakame wrote burning <laughs> so that's that's why his uh, the film burning was in my mind while we were talking about this. Gotcha. So, okay. All right. Just All had right. To clear we'll that let up you for, have that. My, we'll let you my have that. Sake. <laughs> I was like, why was I thinking about that movie? <laughs> it's a easy confusion to make. I, I imagine, <laughs> but uh, wrapping up drive my car I think it's it's a lock of all locks to win one award, and I, and I just have such a struggle to see how it's going to win anything else. Anything else would just be absolutely gravy for me. But th- this is a this is a one win film for me. Yeah, that's perfectly I agree with that. perfectly summed Certainly. up right there. Yeah. 
All right. Well, this is the last of all the Best Picture nominees. Kyle and Mary Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people follow you and what are you working on? So you can check out our podcast, Once Upon a Time at the Oscars, um, pretty much on any podcasting platform. You can check us out on social media. I believe on Twitter and Facebook, we're O-U-T-A-O Podcast, and then Instagram, we're Once Upon a Time at the Oscars. This, By the time this episode drops, I think we'll have all but our Belfast episode out for the 2022 season. So we're we're getting close to wrapping this up, and then we'll be back in 1932 next month. What a glorious year! <laughs> I'm actually enjoying it. So it's, yeah, it's, we we we've been surprised. Actually, it's very jarring going from modern day films back to films from the 30s and the 40s. But I, I've found such an appreciation for the older movies, and they're always a blast to visit now. As a, as a fan of older cinema, I agree. Yeah, it's it's always nice to be reminded, you know, just how far we've come and and how just in a world of movies full of CGI and special effects that that is it's that's just another tool in in making a great movie. There's just it can be very basic and still be just a fantastic uh movie well excellent i'm very excited to hear how uh, that all plays out for you and uh and i'm excited to uh to listen to your last episodes that you have on this year's oscars so yeah once again thank you so much for coming on it was a real treat i'm a big fan of your show and i hope people go and check it out too thank you so much for having us yeah. and, and for the kind words really appreciate that yeah this has been a blast Excellent. Well, next week, Rachel returns back to the show as we will have our final Oscar predictions just in time for you to get some help for your office pools. You can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you've seen these Best Picture nominees, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm. Thank you.